ladies and gentlemen, this is my dramatically lit take on the new Thundercat album, Drunk. Thundercat is a songwriter, he's a bassist extraordinaire for the Brain Feeder Records label. He's been one of their flagship artists for a while now. I've been pretty enamored with his sound since he dropped the Golden Age of Apocalypse album. And since then, he's done a lot to win over fans with his amazing contributions to some of the latest records from Flying Lotus and Kamasi Washington, Kendrick Lamar, as well as impressing people across the world with some amazing live performances. In his music, Thundercat is consciously conjuring the corniest sounds from jazz and electro-funk and soul music from the 70s and the 80s, kind of reclaiming it in this self-aware way that's a little tongue-in-cheek, but still pays homage to these sounds, this era of music. Though I will say that Thundercat's last album, Apocalypse's last full-length album, I think his last release was more of a mini album, his last album, Apocalypse, was really everything that was kind of lackluster about his music, exaggerated to the point where I just could not enjoy the album at all. Everything from the lackluster vocals to the kind of flat, hollow production, and on this album I thought Thundercat's sense of humor was kind of working against him, which is actually not the case at all on Drunk. This record, if anything, makes it stand out in Thundercat's discography. It's that his vibrant personality and his gut-busting sense of humor are both on full display on nearly every track here. Whether it be on the song Tokyo, where Thundercat is almost showing like some weeaboo-type tendencies, whether it be him singing about spending all of his cash on anime as he's hanging around in Tokyo, or sort of calling back to a younger version of himself that found himself obsessed with Dragon Ball Z after getting a, like a Dragon Ball Z wraparound bracelet. He goes as far as to say that Goku ruined him, which uh, is actually one of the most hilarious spots on the album. Or the track Captain Stupido, which uh, is one of the album's openers, which uh, between calls of, Jesus, take the wheel, uh, Thundercat is singing about beating his meat, going back to sleep, thinking that he might have left his wallet at the club. It just kind of seems like a very lazy and ridiculous morning after routine uh, from a wild night out. The song Friend Zone is about exactly that, as Thundercat references uh, uh, playing Mortal Kombat in Diablo <laughs> instead of, uh, I, I guess, going out and pursuing this person who has thrown him into the friend zone. And on the track Bus in the Streets, he kind of reflects on technology, losing his phone, talking about how it's okay to disconnect from the internet sometimes. The songs Walk On By and Lava Lamp uh, in a lot of ways are, are very beautiful. Uh, ballads. You know, there are a lot of lyrical and topical highlights all over the album, some of which are very emotional, very personal, very touching. Others are really creative and out there and kooky. The issue is, though, that Thundercat's usual shortcomings on an album also carry over onto Drunk. Maybe not as uh, badly, maybe they're not as pronounced, because some of the writing and some of the lyrics are more entertaining, more fun. But Thundercat's vocals are still really limited in terms of range and tone and emotional delivery. After almost an hour of material that they do get kind of old after a while. And the production and the mixing on this album still leaves a little bit to be desired, like they were the product of just some fly-by-night bedroom recording session, like on the track of fans' mail. I cannot be the only person 
who hears the crackling static on the drums at the very start of this track, and, and throughout much of the song, actually, and it doesn't sound intentional. And if it is intentional, it does not sound good. Even though the lyrics on this track are hilarious and about being a cat, and there are numerous calls of meow, meow, meow on the song, uh, these lyrics do very little to lighten the mood. Or the track Inferno, where the second half of this song features mostly just Thundercat's very twangy, oddly toned bass guitar and some very flimsy sequence drum patches that just don't add a lot of punch, a lot of oomph. And Drunk also kind of presents a new issue, and that's that we get a lot of material, we get a lot of tracks on this album, many of which just number between one to two minutes and are capped off with a sudden finish, or some kind of suffocating fade out. It just seems kind of non-committal, especially when you have a track like Where I'm Wrong, where a quarter of the song is fade out. This makes the inclusion of the 30 second tracks in the track listing here even more confusing because what are we really taking an interlude from? What are these short songs really providing in this ocean of short songs? Most of these tracks just kind of feel like filler, don't leave a strong impression, even if they are a Jameel Space Ride, which is one of the funnier songs in the entire track listing. I just kind of feel like there could have been more potential here had it been made longer. The features on this thing are kind of hit or miss. Kendrick's appearance on the song Walk On By is okay. I think he holds his own and adds to the lyrical subject of the track even though his flow is recycled straight off of To Pimp a Butterfly. On the song Show You The Way, Thundercat effectively balances his comedic sensibilities with his love of 70s yacht rock with awesome appearances from Michael McDonald and Kenny Loggins, both of whom provide just great singing on this track. I mean, this track is really one of the better centerpieces of the entire album because he points right to his influences. He points right to what inspires these types of, of songs that he pulls together on this album. He does a great job of recreating this music. I think he holds his own vocally on this track for the most part. And uh, I think it's pretty funny how before each guest sings on this track, they're sort of introduced with applause and Thundercat saying, oh, hey, it's Michael McDonald, hey. But then Pharrell is easily the most forgettable feature on the entire album, far from a showstopper. And Wiz Khalifa sounds as corny as ever on the song Drink Dat, where he just drops one more of already many generic by-the-numbers, hey, let's get high rap verses. This album, while I liked the aesthetic of it and I liked the tone of it as I was sort of embarking on my initial listens, the more I listened to it and the more I paid attention to what I was listening to, the more all over the place and messy the album kind of felt. Between all the filler tracks and the odd features, the moody jazz funk instrumentals set against lyrics like, I don't care what you say, so many feels bro, lol, I'm so over it because nothing is real. Thundercat's very limited singing voice, and even his bass playing starts coming off really formulaic after 50 minutes of material spread out across 23 tracks. I think the quaint little ditty approach that he takes to some of his songwriting is, is occasionally cute on this album, but it's the approach he takes with a majority of the tracks here. And all the songs feeling much the same in musical tone, emotional tone, they all kind of drown each other out. You know, there are things that I like about this album, but to be completely honest, I'm not in love with this record, but I can 
sit here without worrying about whether or not I'm going to hear from Thundercat again, because his career, his fame, his popularity doesn't just hinge simply on whether or not he's come out with a great record, a hit record. A lot of the time, it's about his great live shows. It's about the stellar contributions that he provides to other people's records that keep his name in the mainstream, keep people curious about his music. So uh, that could be part of why, when he comes out with a record like this, he doesn't feel the pressure to groom it to sound like a traditional album, to flow like a traditional album. He can just kind of do whatever he wants that sounds like what he's doing here for the most part. I myself would have preferred something a little more developed, a little more organized, something where a lot of the fat that's in the track listing here was cut, but it's still a pretty decent album. I'm feeling a decent to strong six on this thing. Transition. Have you given this album a listen? Did you love it? Did you hate it? What would you rate it? You're the best. You're the best. What should I review next? Hit the like if you like. Please subscribe and please don't cry because I know some of y'all are probably mad at my opinion on this album, but I, I'm, I'm sorry. It's how I feel. Just get, just get mad in the comments. Please don't threaten my life. You're, you're the best. Thundercat, drunk forever.
Should I just keep going? Cool.
Kenny Loggins really put that whole thing together because his son also was a big fan and, and had heard an interview with uh, Thundercat where he mentions Kenny and I. And uh, so he right away told his dad that, you know, you guys should write with Thundercat. And so Kenny, to his credit, uh, reached out and uh, Steve uh, graciously uh, met with us. And we met in a studio in Ojai, in a little town in California between us. And, uh, we started to uh, work on writing a song, and uh, that's when I really became more familiar with his writing and his music and his, and his musicality, which I, I was, you know, really very impressed with. You know. And then you don't just work on this song; you you end up gigging with him at, at Coachella. Um, yeah, yeah. 
what was that like? Had you had you first had you been to Coachella before? Had you Never. done that music festival? <laughs> no. Okay. No, I don't. So so tell me a little bit. You're you're out in the desert. It's pretty hot. Yeah, it, it, uh, it's a, one of those places I would probably would have never been invited to, but for uh, being a guest of Thundercat. But uh, it was a lot of fun. His band is a is basically a trio, three piece. It's him and a uh, keyboard player and drummer, uh, and um, just a, a really great, wonderfully talented young guys. And uh, so it was. It's really exciting because it's kind of a wide open. Uh, format, you know, it's a it's very much a, a jam kind of situation where a lot of improvisation. And although the songs are there and there's a certain structure of the song, we uh, uh, there's a lot of freedom with that with that band live, and and it it really adds to the energy. And and I don't think uh, any of the guys play that same song the same way twice, you know. So uh, I had a lot of fun playing with those guys, uh, and I was uh, really impressed with Steve live because. Uh, most of his records are basically him and that instrument, the bass, you know, the eight-string bass. That uh, uh, It's a six-string or eight-string bass, but it's remarkable how he, much uh, he covers with that. And basically the whole rhythm track is his bass, his vocals, and then some keyboard overdubs and, uh, and, and then percussion.
tell you a lot about it. In fact, I want you to make sure you never fill it and don't add any water. The new album's called Drunk. There's a lot of different ways to interpret that title. I'm wondering <laughs> what ways you were thinking about the word drunk for no. this new project. Oh, man. Um, good question. Um, 
I think that it speaks a lot more to than more more to so many other things other than the actual literal term, you know. What do you mean? Like, you know, life and how everything feels right now. Kind of a mixture of that with like um, you know, um just kinda like uh the how lackadaisical and how like weird everything is, you know. It feels like that socially, you know. It, it feels like you're drunk walking around and that nothing yeah, really makes like any sense. Nothing makes any sense, you know. It doesn't. Like within five seconds of talking to somebody, you can just realize it, like what the what is going on right now? You know, it's just like it's weird. So so the album title is in many ways a a, a reflection of how you're seeing society right yeah, now. Yeah. Yeah. Almost like we're like even in the, you know, metaphorically where like you would be like, okay, blacked out. Like a lot of the time, you know, social media is like this blank spot in a sentence in your life. You know, like every time you connect to the computer, you just blank out for a <laughs> second. You're not a person for about a good <laughs> if you when you really get into it, you just disappear for a second. Well, I never thought about that. You're right. Like when those times when you're in a cab and you're in the back of yeah, the you're cab, not there. And you're on your, you're not. You might as well not be there. Even though you're like in a whole nother world, which is the whole world in, entirely, you're just not in that moment. Do you ever <laughs> do you ever do you ever travel and look? Do you look at your phone a lot? Oh my god, I don't even talk to people, man. I look at my phone a lot and I travel and I think I'll never see that street ever again as yeah. long as I live. I'll never see like that that steel mill no, ever again. But I'm never. not looking at it. No, it's just part of the. It's part of how it works now. You're, you know, it's like you're more concerned about with like what like futures going through. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so is this you? Is this you trying acknowledging it and trying to change it, or is it acknowledging it to to let us know about it? I mean, I mean, I don't feel like there's 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 a lot of different um, things that you can take from it, but at the same time, I feel like it's not something that I'm trying to. You know, I feel like people would have to want to change it themselves. You know, like mm-hmm. something has to change, regardless. It's like regardless of if you it can acknowledge it or not. It's like you're gonna grow up, you're gonna get old, and you're gonna die. So inside of that, you know, there's things that you can try to move around, you know, mm-hmm. or try to change and stuff like that. So it's like I don't, I don't, I don't put so much responsibility on it like that. But it's one of those things where it's more of like observation, you know, and reporting. Let's yeah. listen to this. Can you listen to some music. Is that cool? Yeah, that's fine. Let's listen to some music. I'm glad. I'm glad. That's fine. <laughs> this is uh, this is a song featuring Kendrick Lamar. This is "Walk On By." This is Thundercat. I'd imagine I'd get really angry as the songs are going by. <laughs> so just turn it off. Yeah, it's like come back, and I'm like, <laughs> hit it. Binoculars uh-huh. to Argentina and Africa. Uh-huh. We masters the what? pressure, yeah. hazardous, uh-huh. harassing us. Right. You laugh at us. Why well, I can rid it bagging dimes? Now we bagging rhymes. Body bags, price tags on your forehead. Nine times out of ten, your nine out of ten. When that line becomes thin, be a killer or fireman. Fill up the lavish pen if I needed to right my wrongs. I can't deny sin. Condolences through these palms. I remember when your cousin was coming home. But we plotted to kill him cause we ain't norm Unfamiliar faces make n- nervous Convicted court cases might hit the surface Restricted territories might come through lurking We ain't want none of that urgent call Llama had turban for all of my identity Percocets for all the headaches I'm about to bring Confetti, tumble out this barrel soon as it ring You ready? That was the word for we moved on him Treat him like Joe the Plumber I wonder if someone coming can see this tool on him Immature 
that's what you call me. Your cousin won't come home from the pen, but from the army. If I can write my wrongs, it being his first I read. Even throw a bullet, hit him in the leg, still walk on by. That's a bit of Kendrick Lamar. It's featured on a song called Walk On By. Uh, the new record from my guest in studio right now, Thundercat. Mm-hmm. You work really closely with Kendrick on the To Pimp a Butterfly record, which is one of the most successful, most widely acclaimed, and, and one of the most beautiful records anyone's heard in a really long time. Hey, man. Thank uh, wh- you. What can you tell me about working with him? <clears throat> the guy is amazing. Yeah. You know, to say the least. And uh, I don't know, it's like a, 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 I would try to talk to him as much as uh, possible, you know, throughout and after, you know, and we still talk every day for the most part, you know. And we kind of trip out off of life because it's like it, it's like it changed things when that album happened. You know, we didn't realize it was going to do anything of that sort, mm-hmm. but it was like um, we could see we, we could we could kind of look and try to like go. This is this is going to be a, a interesting, you know, whatever is to come from it. And you know, from there, it was like uh, I don't know. It just it just um, I don't know. It just still resonates. You know, as something that we all wanted for it, but we didn't know how it was going to translate. You know. And working with him throughout the process for me was like very, it was like being needed, like a, like a piece of dough. You know, it felt like somebody was like bending and stretching and like, you know, yeah, pulling different things out. And, um, you know, it's like uh, I've never experienced anything like that in working situation ever. It's funny you mentioned that, that idea of being needed, you know, with a K, needed like a piece of dough. Because yeah. I know that going into making this record, you were uncertain whether he was going to be able to accept your ideas or you'd find it, you found it difficult that he would. You found it difficult the well, yeah. idea that he would accept your ideas. What do you mean by that? Well, a, a lot of the time with rappers, they, they exist in their own space. And so because of that, they don't, not only do they not allow people there, it's like a very, it's like a, I, I would imagine that even the act of rapping sometimes is like you have to talk about yourself so much that you think it's just yourself. So a lot of the time, that's been my experience with different people that I've worked with, you know, and being that I'm a musician first, and it's like the thing that I have is a piece that works, that has to fit in a puzzle. So it's never, I know it's never just me, regardless, you know? But it's one of those things where I've experienced in the past moments where people would just be kind of like, you know, you know, to themselves, and it's like once they've gotten something from you, they don't talk to you anymore, right, right. all kinds of stuff like mm-hmm. that. So I guess it was my, you know, my experience that would make me assume or led, make me believe lead me to believe that you know that there was once that happened that that there was that was it but the truth is Kendrick would always let me know otherwise and I would never <clears throat> I didn't feel I don't know I don't usually feel comfortable asking people to do stuff for me like that you know but as I would play I would send him music all the time mm-hmm. regardless if I was working on an album or not I still do it you know mm-hmm. it's like if I've done something new it's I, immediately I send it to him you know- uh, I think a lot of performers of your caliber will, will only look to people they can improvise with. You know, you look at people who can play bass the way you can. They'll, 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 yeah. they'll, they'll want to play with other keyboard players yeah. at that level. Uh, they'll want to play with saxophone players at that level, with drummers at that level. It seems, from from looking at your career and looking at who you work with, people like Kendrick, yeah. it seems like you're looking for something a little bit deeper. What do you yeah. look for in a, in a collaborator rather than just technical skill? I just look for the genu- genuine love and appreciation of what it is that they're doing. A lot of the time, not the the hype or the celebrity of or the you know i'm i'm into the ideas i'm into like the new uncharted territory you know i'm into like what can this be you know mm-hmm. especially if both of us are there you know and um it's not one-sided you know where somebody's looking at me and just waiting for me to do everything or you know it's, it, those different types of things happen sometimes you know but specifically with kendrick i saw something completely different you know 
a guy that would want to, it was like, it would become interweaved in like the thread of what was going on throughout the course of the day. And he's still, and he's, he's been the same person since I've met him. And it's like, um, again, that's why he's, he, I feel like, you know, the more and more I see the accolades this guy gets and stuff like that, it's totally like merited because he's really that guy. And it sounds to me what, like what you're saying is it's something greater than just music. It's something Yeah, he sees it. He sees it, man. We had uh, Raul Peck, who'd made the new documentary, I'm Not Your Negro, yeah. about James Baldwin the other day. And he ends the documentary with The Black or the Berry. And, yeah. I asked, and I asked him why he played a Kendrick Lamar song at the end of it. And he said, because I honestly feel like the torch is being passed from someone like James yeah. Baldwin, yeah. not a musician. James Baldwin, a great thinker, a great writer, a great activist, to, to Kendrick Lamar. Mm-hmm. And you see that mm-hmm. too? I absolutely see it because it's like – it bears so much weight, but it's light as a feather. You know, it's like in one sentence, it's like it's a political statement. In the next sentence, it's like a, the black experience. The next experience is everybody's experiences. It's, it's like it's it's all meshed together, and it's like it's an undescribable feeling when you really think about it. When you hear it, you feel like it's you. You feel like it's him. You can feel that it's people music. You can feel that it's like it's big. So it's like that's, I think that's what's happening with people when they hear that album, you know. Even the like the little like even when you the funny thing is like watching the music videos for it when you know like as compared to the recording of it where it was like the it I I could totally see like the moments like the laughing to keep from crying the the you know the comedy and the horror and like the anger and like the love I could see all the like like really brilliant color I could see him in brilliant colors almost you know it was mm-hmm. like whoa you know it's like this guy is out here on fire mm-hmm. you know and. I think that's what people have been experiencing when they've seen Kendrick for the last, you know, so odd years. And it's like, um, you know, that's what makes him who he is, though. And I know that laughing instead of crying has been something that's been really important to you throughout this. Oh, man. Well, you know, yeah. You know, there's so many denotations and stuff. You know, it's like just being black, period, is always a funny thing, you know. What do you mean? Well, I always have this thing where I would be like, um, it's like I run it I run it through the test of could it be because I'm black. Yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. like you just judge everything based on that, and it makes everything funny. You know, <laughs> it's like, and then there's that one time that someone doesn't laugh, yeah. <laughs> and then it is, oh, it is because I'm black, <laughs> and you're like, oh crap, you know, you know, <laughs> exactly, exactly, dude. <laughs> it becomes like, mm, you know, but that's none- a good litmus test. Yeah, yeah, I understand. You know. I want to yeah. talk a little bit more about your music, and also the idea of of laughing through crying. Is, is is throughout this music in a really interesting way. This is a song called Jamil's Space Ride. And because it's short enough that we can play the entire song. <laughs> yeah. Can you can you set it up for us? Um well it's that it's that one time I woke up and I was just really uh I didn't know what to think. <laughs> what like, do you mean? I don't know. I mean a lot of the time with songwriting I don't um have a um, a way it comes about in in a, in a consistent manner. It's very different every time. And it's like, I remember, you know, it's like a lot of the time I'll be listening to music and music that I've had, I've been mowing over for a while or stuff like that. You know, I'll be hearing melodies, but I'll never put the two and two together for, it it doesn't always happen immediately. And so I remember, I just remember I woke up one day and I think I may have had a conversation with Jamil and just realized how volatile he really was. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, like when you look at a person, you're like, oh crap, you really are a monster, you know? Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I just had that realization about my little brother. (laughs) Let's take a listen.
Let's call that the radio edit <laughs> of Jamil's space ride. New music from Thundercat, my guest right now. It's from his new album, Drunk. You know, I, I, it does relate to what we were just talking about, the idea of laughing through crying, your kind of litmus test that you put people through of, is it because I'm black? And you see, you see whether you get that laugh or whether you get that stern look and what, yeah. how, how that informs you. But, but there is... It's it's a serious song. This there there are things you talk about in that song that aren't aren't incredibly funny. That are Dang. that that are that, that are real life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yet the way you sing it and the way we're laughing about it and the music behind it, it's yeah, it's it's actually whimsical and kind of poignant at the same time. Yeah, I appreciate it. Um. Tell me about how you come up with that. How you fuse those two things together? Uh, just being black. <laughs> it's just I mean as silly as it sounds it's like a lot of the time you know it's like you wake up and every day you're 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 still like there's still remnants of like people that don't believe you're a full human being and that being like a reality where you like you know you know I remember the the day I realized like you know even like in the constitution where there was like citizens with a capital C and citizen with a lowercase c mm-hmm. it's like well who are they talking to with the lowercase c <laughs> and it was like Oh, it's because I'm black. <laughs> you know, it's like, oh. But it's like one of those things at the same time that, you know, it's like, I don't know. It, it's it's not there to scare you, I don't think. It's not there to discourage you. You know, it's there for you to be resilient. And, like, it's not something to where you can let it linger and hang over your head in such a dark manner. Because if you do, you'll just, you know, you'll wither up and die. And you'll be an angry, bitter person. When I listened to that song, I listened to the record for the first time, full disclosure, last night, mm-hmm. and um, I think we were we were trying to figure out how to make heads or tails of it, and I put it on, and immediately I thought Frank Zappa. Hey, like I got it. I I, I thought that right away, especially track one. Uh, I heard, but also I you know I I I, I want to talk a little bit about Frank Zappa, but first, hey. am I right? Is he a big influence oh, on you? Oh man, by man, you hit it right on the head, dude. It's like a he's like a genuine solar flare, man. That guy is a beast monster. What do you get from him? Everything, man. Zappa was the one, dude. You know, I mean, you know, I mean, of course, you know, there's there's more ones, but there's like Zappa in his his like every last part of what he did was amazing. You know, and some people love to categorize things they love. They can't wait to put it in a category. No, it's a jam band. I'm like, you call that stuff like jam music? And it's like, no, that's written out. That's like beyond classical that's like it's transcended jazz it's like it's gone into another place where it's like it's dancing around in this weird cosmic thing you know and anything from the part where he has like Benny Kaliuta and George Duke in his band you know you know and it's like from that to like everything to where his son still plays his music it's like it's so important like the stuff that he did you know one of my favorite albums of course or favorite two albums are Apostrophe and Overnight Sensation um it's one of those things where it's like I remember the day I heard um, uh, Uncle Remus, mm-hmm. and this was the one. I remember the moment where I, I I I discovered that Zappa did a version of George Duke's song, and it was like, it was crazy hearing. And I would play both of them back to back, and I was like, this is insane to realize like how this one painful moment translates like this into Frank Zappa's music. And it's they're both beautiful as hell, mm-hmm. but the context in which Frank Zappa would be talking about it, you wouldn't understand. It, it almost seemed out of, it wasn't out of context, but it was just like, what is he talking about? But then hearing George Duke sing it, it was like, oh, that's 
that was, it was deep for me, moments like that. So it's like anything from that to like, you know, of course, uh, St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast or a, a, a Dynamo Hum. Or... Well, what I was thinking about, especially when it, as it relates to that last record, is um, Brown brown Shoes Don't Make It, mm. Mothers of Invention. Yeah, man. This, uh, if you don't know, Frank Zappa's early work was contained in a band that wasn't necessarily a band, but it was kind of yeah. a Nine Inch Nailsy style band yeah, where it was really... a band, but it was Frank Zappa. No, that I would call them a jam band. A jam, maybe so, yeah. It's just for the sake of art, if that was going to be the one thing, you know, because it was like it was very jammy, you know. What we what we forget about Frank Zappa when we talk about him now is that, not unlike yourself, and I mean this in 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 the kindest possible way, there is social commentary, there is there is justice, there's there's sadness contained in what seems like absurd, highly technically profession and funny songs. Thank you. So you look at a song like Brown, Brown Shoes Don't Make It, mm-hmm. which is a song about Lyndon Johnson mm-hmm. going to Vietnam mm-hmm. and not telling the press mm-hmm. and the press realizing that he's doing it mm-hmm. because he's wearing brown shoes with a black suit, something he would never do because he was so well-dressed. Mm-hmm. He writes this kind of very funny song, this kind of absurd song. It's off, I think it's off Joe's Garage. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it's 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 absurd, but it really delivers a point. Which is another fantastic album, man. Joe's Garage. But how much did that? How much did that idea of delivering a point, a very serious point, and, and Vietnam was a very serious point, yeah. and, and 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 the treatment of African Americans by the police, by society, and by the Constitution mm-hmm. is a very serious point. Mm-hmm. What do you learn from Frank Zappa on how to treat those how to treat those issues through music? Well, I think across the board, music is like a, a, a means of therapy. It's also a means of like relief, you know. So there's you find sancti- sanctuary in music a bit sometimes. You really can, you know. And it's like I was saying earlier, where it's like light as a feather, but then as heavy as like a stone. You know, it's like it's one of those things where I don't know. I think you come to that. You at some point you come to that conclusion. You know, it doesn't matter what walk of you know music or whatever it is, you come to that conclusion of what is this, you know, and what can it be, you know, and it's just, it's just about sometimes maybe you hit it earlier or you don't, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and for me, I've always been a person that was like one to dig for records and one to look for things and try to understand what it was about, you know, and and I would try to walk in another person's shoes a lot of the time, Mm -hmm. so when I would listen to music, I wouldn't be listening to music just because it sounded cool, or like it would be like, oh, cool, you know, it's like on another level, because they're playing fast and crazy, it's like I'd be listening to it for what makes it fast and crazy, like I'd be like, what's going on in this guy's mind that's making him tick like this, and with Zappa, he would tell you right out, you know, he would just say it, it, you know, (laughs) it didn't have to make total sense in the moment where you're like, oh, that's crazy, he's talking about this, then he mentions his balls, and then he's talking back again about the. It's like it. It's all what really goes on in your mind. What's like what's really going on in your mind? Mm-hmm. You know, which is what people don't always want to know. It's like you know, like the thing with the truth. You know, it's like, yeah, people will say they want to know the truth, but then when you tell them the truth, it actually pisses them off. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, am I supposed to get shaken by the fact that you got pissed off, or am I supposed to feel awkward about telling you the truth? It's like. I don't know at what point, th- I don't know what the line is, and that's where that stuff exists, that I don't know what this is. And now when you're making your own music, is 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 that truth? Like, again, Zappa, you know, he'll talk about porn, he'll, he'll talk about Everything. sex, he'll talk about food, Everything. he'll talk about politics, he'll talk about consumerism. Yeah. Is, is is that informed in this record and drunk? The well, truth? I mean, I, I, again, it's like everybody's truth is can be different sometimes, you know? And a lot of the time, one thing I've learned by way of specifically, I want to say, two people that were very influential in my life, which would be Erica Badu and Flying Lotus. 
is how honest the music has to be to you. Right. Like it, it doesn't matter if I'm a Christian. It doesn't matter if I'm, you know, if I'm fat. It doesn't matter if I think I got small balls. It doesn't matter if I like don't know how to roller skate. You know, it doesn't matter if I've learned kendo. You know, it's like <laughs> that is my reality. And along with that, it comes the things that get amplified by way of just nature of being that. You know, it's like the moment where, again, it's always going to go back to the black one because that's like the easy target. You know, it's like, you know, it's 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 always been a thing, but then it's ever, it's been nothing for me. You know, I didn't I didn't grow up in the civil rights movement era, but apparently it's still it still is happening. This is still the civil rights era. <laughs> so it's like, era, where's the line here? <laughs> you know, it's like, what am I fighting for? Am I still like trying to prove I'm a fully I'm a full human, or is it like, am I immigrant? Am I am I immigrant? You know, it's like because mm-hmm. I could have sworn. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, it's all laced in that in those in those areas like that. But at the same time, it's like not everybody's black. So it's like that's not something somebody always is going to be able to relate to just by way of they're they're not. But it is one of those things to where it's still everybody's experience. And if we can't relate to it, if someone can't relate to it, they'll relate to the idea that it's honest. Exactly. And that's the importance of honesty in music. Yeah. And I think it's like the the one thing another person could have for another person is empathy and just trying to understand, Mm -hmm. you know, because it's just what it is. You know, be it rich or poor, be it black, white, be it. You know, mid, I don't even know what the proper term for, like, short person. be A, a little person? Yeah, being small, being tall, whatever. The, you know, it's like the reality is, like, no matter what card you've been dealt, you've, you're still here. And I think it's just for us to try to figure that out between each other, you know. And, you know, the, people don't get it right. Nobody's gotten it right so far. <laughs> you know, it's like you're still fighting over what the pyramids mean and, like, <laughs> it's like <laughs> what's this stone? And it's like, I don't know. It's like, well, I know what it is, so I'm going to keep it from you because – it's just weird. Mm-hmm. We're just weird. Yeah, and and I think that it's absurd. It's most of it is literally like terrible. And and sometimes absurd music can express that absurdity. <laughs> exactly. It's like, you know, it's just it's just, you know, I think uh, the art is a reflection of life. And I think it always has been. I yeah, think it's... I think if you look at early I mean we're getting super nerdy. I'm sorry about this, but like if you look at early 20th century composers, what were they reflecting? They were reflecting uh industrialization. Yeah. They were reflecting a war, they were wow. reflecting nuclear politics. So therefore, of course music's going to get yeah. more clashy. Of course yeah. it's going to get in, out of the 12 tone scale. Like of course it's going to get exactly. weird. Exactly. Cuz things are weird. Exactly. Exactly, dude. Your your music reflects not just what's happening, but how it feels. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I've I've tried to capture that a lot of the time, you know. I want to talk about Kenny Loggins. Hey, <laughs> I want to talk about Kenny Loggins I want to, too. I want to talk about Kenny Loggins. Let's talk about Kenny Loggins. But I feel like I'm doing Kenny Loggins a disservice by like being pretend jokey about it because Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald, they are kind of poster boys of the late '70s, early '80s, late mm-hmm. rock era. Mm-hmm. Hall and Oates, Fleetwood Mac, some Fleetwood Mac. Toto, my favorite, Christopher Cross. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, somebody made a joke, like, if I would have gotten him on, on the album, that it would have been like an apocalypse in the real life. <laughs> but whatever. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, no, I mean, it was totally, you know, in the, in the, in the, in the positive light, you know. Kenny, Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald are on this record. That's a very, very different vibe than the rest of the record. It's mm-hmm. a different vibe than maybe what people would expect from a contemporary record. What do they bring to it? Well, one thing I have to, again, like with being honest about it, it's like, there's a part of um, part of me that is again a songwriter, and it's like a lot of the time people know me because of playing bass and because of the things I've been involved with when it comes to the production side like that. But there's a there's a reality that exists for me that um, stems from songwriting, 
and I've, I had to learn how to do that. I don't, know, I don't know what you mean. Well, um, it's one of those things where, okay, a, a simple way to put it is like when I was younger, I was very quiet. I wasn't one to like always talk, you know, and if I ever did talk, it was one of those things that was like, um, it came out like Snoop, like a Snoopy or Woodstock. It would be like, wah, 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 wah. you know, <laughs> my friends would literally mock me because of that because it would be like, it was what was whatever was going on in my head was coming out. If I was, it, it just wasn't. There was no. It was a seamlessness almost. Okay. So at the same time, it kind of put me in a place where I would never look at myself as a songwriter like that. But, um, you know, with my history with music and stuff like that, I would kind of, I would have to try to understand things and where they came from and try to learn, you know, like very fast. And um, the best way to describe it is um, I remember the moment I came across Kenny Loggins and Michael McDonald and, and realized what they meant to me as a child. But I, I came across it very early, you know, mm-hmm. and not in the sense where it was like, oh, cool, my parents are listening to this cool music. Mm-hmm. No, I remember hearing, you know, Warren G, you know, Regulators, and it being like, man, that song is funky as hell. Yeah. And then it was just like it would be on the radio, but then you'd be like, and then I would know what it, I already knew what sampling and, you know, stuff was. So I didn't know where that came from, but I was just kind of like, I mean, I'm getting tired of hearing Warren G rap over it, you know. And then every now and again, you know, you skip past the station and you hear what a fool believes or something, and you're like, well, that's a lot of changes going on. And you're like, that sounds better than what I just heard on the rap station. And you're like, you know, and then you hear it everywhere you go, you know, and then you start trying to sing like them. You know, you start going, you start, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know, you kind of feel it. You can feel it inside. It becomes internal. And then from that moment, then I'm like, okay, then I have this full on, like, steely Danny epiphany like I I feel like if you haven't had that like explosion in your mind with that then you haven't experienced steely Dan you know mm-hmm. like you haven't gone the, the Donald Fagan way you know you haven't, mm-hmm. you don't understand it because it's literally like it's like a ton of bricks when you realize it you know? yeah and I remember like sitting there with Asia just on repeat just like a crackhead and then just like analyzing every last part I'm like okay well Chuck Randy's like slapping bass in this one part and the Steve Gadd solo that's a Steve Gadd solo and it's like who's this guy it sounds like that's yeah, I know. And then you put the, t- you like add, you know, it's like two plus two is six. You know, you're just like, oh, this guy is doing everything. This is, this is the guy. Yeah. You know, you see it. Yeah. You know, and that's that's the Michael McDonald moment for me. What what are we missing? Like, I think that I love Christopher Cross. I love mm-hmm. that. I love that Arthur's theme mm-hmm. song, and I love it because it's 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 a beautiful sentiment too. You know, when you get lost between the moon and New York City, yeah. it might seem crazy, but it's true. Like, it's a beautiful sentiment. But but I don't talk about it because yeah, because people it, laugh at it. What what are, what are people missing? What are people missing? Why, everybody. Why, the truth is, like I said, it's one of those things where not everybody <laughs> is like. A lot of the time, it's like a. What the uh, uh, only way I could describe it in in a very interesting way is like there's one time Drake said like you know jealousy is just love and hate at the same time. A lot of the time when people laugh, it's because they don't know where to place it. So it's like a lot yeah. of the time it's like you can't identify it, but you don't know what it is anyway. So all you know what to do is either make fun of it or like squash it. So it has to be compartmentalized a lot of the time. But as you grow, I think. You know, especially with which, with understanding, you start to realize places pl- places things actually hold. You know, like a 15-year-old's not going to understand what it's like to be married seven times. You know, <laughs> it's just <laughs> not going to happen. You know, and, you know, it's like, you know, a, a, a 40-year-old is not, a, a 40-year-old guy is not going to understand, like, this terror between why, why is it so hard to make a solid decision with a younger dude? You mm-hmm. know, it's like, it's just it's the way it goes. But... Truth be told, the music is is worth so much more than those moments. So a lot of the time, I think 
with people's like jest again, it's one of those things where they just don't know what to do with it sometimes. But at the same time, the truth is told in jest. So it's like if you were to ask that person why they were laughing or what they were laughing at, it would be like it would probably be the most intense explanation they could ever have to explain something with. You know, it's like this sounds like somebody that like this is like calling it yacht rock even denotes yeah. to so much more. Then what? It's like that's not a bad thing because I always say like if you have the money to be on a yacht, that's not funny. That's like real money. Mm-hmm. So it's like, hmm, like who's actually getting? It's like where's the? And also, if you hear one of these songs in in a grocery store or something like that, or if you're in the convenience store, you're in the mall. It's not easy to process. These are sad songs. No, you just start yeah, and you start singing them in the store like, and it's like they're pouring their heart out. But it's like, do you look crazy because you're like <laughs> connecting to that? It's right. like. No, it's just the beauty of what it is. It's amazing songwriting. And that's what Kenny and Michael have been. They've been these amazing songwriters, you know? And again, you know, it's like the commercialization of the stuff is like what it is. Mm -hmm. But if you have a guy there that can sit and pour his heart out on the track and it literally translate as like beauty, that's, it's amazing. And it's it's the truth. That's what we were talking about earlier. Yeah. It's the truth. Yeah. Um, Before I let you go, I wanted to talk about another... 80s icon of pop music that you try to get on the record. This is a Canadian show. <laughs> You're going to say it. I'm going to say it. Yeah. You were trying to track down Gino Vanelli. Yeah, man. How did you do? Uh, well, you know, I, I, just, I did about as good as trying to track Gino Vanelli down in, <laughs> in Canada. It just didn't happen. <laughs> well, what, do you, what, what do you love about Gino Vanelli? Oh, my gosh, man. I love everything about Gino. Like, the guy is like... I mean, it just, it it was, again, there's these moments in life, like I was saying, musically, that were just turning points. And I remember Gino Vanelli started me going down that path, you know. Again, sometimes things come to you in, in the ways they do, you know, and, and it's like everybody loves to sample and take from stuff, you know, but nobody ever wants to give the person credit, you know, because they're not keen enough to write a major sharp 11 over anything, you know. Mm-hmm. So they'll just take it from here, you know. And, and because it has this feeling in that one sharp 11 that they're, the major sharp 11, it's like, oh, it's got this little flange in the moment, but you would never be able to describe it. But if you step back and look at that bigger picture and you go, oh, man, that came from this set of progressions on this album from this year with, whoa, you know, and you start to see this grand-esque picture. And uh, uh, I saw that with Gino Vanelli, you know, by my – I remember the, the Gino Vanelli moment was the one intense moment for me. I almost, it was like – I, I when, when was it? I was uh, – I think I was living with my parents and – um, you know, growing up around like, you know, Sara Creative Partners and all them like, you know, even Mad Lib and Cats, you know, it's like there's a culture of digging for records, you know. Mm-hmm. I kind of grew up in that culture. And your dad was a musician. Yeah. Yeah. He had records, tons of records in the house, yada, yada. And um, I remember I went to Amoeba. I forget if it was, I forget if it was when Amoeba first opened. This is Amoeba in Los Angeles? Yes, Amoeba in Hollywood. And it was maybe in one of the earlier years when, it, you know, like to be even 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 able to say that, like, I feel old. But it was like, I remember I was there for that, you know. Yeah, again, Me and Kamasi used to just go, like, his car would be f- the bottom. It was like you open the door and it just was like CDs fall out the car, you know. I like and, this idea. If you don't know, by the way, Amoeba Records is, is maybe the best record store in, in Los Angeles. In the history of record stores. So you, you and Kamasi Washington used to go in there. Oh, and- we would just go in. And it was like he, he would get out of school. I wouldn't be in school. We would just stay there for, like, the whole day. Mm-hmm. And you'd be finding all this stuff, for like, you know, cheap. You'd be finding all these albums that, you know, be used. People been cracked and be like, oh. Like, you know, and I remember we, um, I used to have a studio with a cousin of mine. And we bought, we would buy records and try to listen to them, find things to sample and take from. 
And uh, it was two specific moments. I remember my brother sampling, my older brother, <gasps> excuse me, sorry. I remember my older brother sampling the Gino Vanelli Brother to Brother record. And I remember hearing it and it sounding like just, it sounded like the apocalypse. It sounded like, it was like what comes next is like just death. You know, it's like, and I remember it was within the first uh, Appaloosa on, on um, Brother to Brother. And the fact that the album was even called Brother to Brother, like it, it spoke miles to me because having brothers that do music and this guy talking about his brothers and then this music being this intense, it's like I immediately fell in the stream. And I was just like, that's for me. And um, from that moment of hearing Appaloosa, I just like was, I was just like, I went crazy. I went Gino Vanelli crazy. Like I went and got everything. This, and I sat in my car. This The moment that really hit me. Okay. I'll tell you the moment that really hit me. Yeah. I was like, I was looking for this feeling and the sound of like, what is this? And I'm looking through all the records, and you know, there's Gino from the '80s. There's the Living Inside Myself Gino. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a, uh, you know, what is it, Black Cars, and there's like all those that there's. And then when you go further back, there's like the Bee Gees singing backgrounds. You're like, what? Is, and I'm looking for this thing, and I come across Gist of the Gemini, you know, and I remember I had, it was like, uh, I think uh, within the first two songs, Fly Into This Night. And I was in my, I had a Ford Explorer at the time, you know, and I live in, I grew up in a mixed neighborhood where it was a bit rough and up, it was upscale, but still very hood. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I didn't care if somebody ran up on me and stole my car and everything. The moment I was sitting there, I couldn't get out of my car until I heard the whole entire album. And it was like three or four o'clock in the morning, you know, it's like people, crackheads, there's all kind of random dogs and like, you know, I'm sitting here and I'm like. I couldn't disconnect from that moment. And I remember, like, when I got out the car, it just changed my whole entire ears. It changed my ears, you know, and just hearing him saying, ah, and I was just like, whoa, you know, he's up there, you know, and I was just like, I understood it. You know, I was like, this is the way I want to go, you know. I want, I want to point out, this is, this is a big shot Canadian radio show. Gino, <laughs> if you're listening, get in touch. <laughs> Oh, he would hate me, man. <laughs> no, I think you guys would do well together. <laughs> he would think I'm terrible. He'd be like, you're horrible. He'd get it. <laughs> He'd uh, get it. Yeah. You know, you guys both take jazz and, and, and fusion and, and make pop records. He'd, he'd, he'd get it. Yeah, well, you know, I, I definitely tried to reach out. Steven, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thundercat is a multi-instrumentalist and a Grammy Award-winning singer. His latest album is called Drunk. It's available now for your responsible consumption. <laughs> just, just listen to it in an Uber. <laughs> just take just take an Uber and listen yeah, to you it. You don't have to drive and listen to it.